Thank you, Dan and Ensemble and Instrumentalists for beautiful worship this morning. Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and we'll be in verse 1 and following. If we ever needed the hope of the Messiah, it is this holy season. If we ever needed him to ride into town and take control, it is now. Like pilgrims proclaiming Hosanna 2,000 years ago, we are looking for a Savior and the healing that he brings this spring, this very Palm Sunday. Our world, like theirs, is filled with fear, inundated with isolation, and the powers that plague us threaten to take away our palm branches too. But we refuse to relent. We bow our backs against the chaos that seeks to control us, to cripple us, even in the midst of a pandemic. We will welcome Palm Sunday. Welcome the Savior. And shout Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem was threatening. A new, powerful, popular rabbi. The crowds were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The palm branches were waving. The cloaks were being cast. And the powers that like things just like they are took note. The King Jesus is coming to the capital, coming to Jerusalem an event captured by all four evangelists. Have you ever noticed how few events in the life of our Lord are recorded by all four evangelists, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? This is an event. This triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday, is an event recorded by all four evangelists. Why only two record his birth, Matthew and Luke. But all four think this event important enough that they take out parchment and pen and they capture the entry of our Lord into Jerusalem. The event in Mark doesn't match what Jesus has been doing up until now in this gospel. We've been watching and reading three years of ministry, and now he's allowing the crowd to shout their accolades, Hosanna, Hosanna, blesses the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Everywhere else in this gospel, when a demon or someone being healed would shout out accolades to Jesus, shh. Don't tell them who I am. Not yet. Don't let them know that I'm the Messiah, the King, he would say. But not this time. 
This time he just let them yell, Hosanna, Hosanna. Unlike so many other times when Jesus had checked their acclaim, now he seemed to even welcome it in some way. Not so much with a sense of pride, but a sense that he would allow the procession of glory to begin. The glory of God's Son was going to Jerusalem. But when new powers take a throne, when a new CEO takes a seat at the head of the table, some people are smart enough to be nervous while others just join in the gleeful shouts. The Pharisees were smart, at least smart enough to be unnerved. A rabbi causing a ruckus in Jerusalem would call Rome to come in and put a stop to this. The powers that are will not tolerate commotion in Jerusalem, and the religious establishment of Israel will lose its opportunity, its quasi-freedom for festival activities and beyond, and so we have to stop this rabbi. And Luke... The Pharisees realize that the Passover pilgrims are calling Jesus king. And they realize what this procession meant. They realize that the crowd was doing nothing less than making him out to be the Messiah. So they demanded, rebuke your disciples. Hush them up. Hush these hosannas. Jesus himself usually didn't need any prompting to silence the accolades. He was never comfortable with the public attention of his true identity until now, until God's timing. And now he says, if my disciples are silent, why, even the stones will shout out. Who's in this crowd? This crowd that cheers the Lord as he enters Jerusalem? Who makes up this motley mob of Passover pilgrims? No doubt the Galileans were there. They had seen more miracles than anyone else, and they had heard that he was the Messiah. They had seen the works of his hands, and now they were beginning to believe the Galileans were there. And those from Bethany, surely they were there too. Bethany was all abuzz over this rabbi. Why, he had just called his friend Lazarus back to life. It had happened in Bethany, and they all knew that he had power even over death. And many had rejoiced in Bethany over the coming again to life of Lazarus, and, and others ran off to turn in Jesus to the religious authorities. When they heard that Lazarus had been raised from the dead, the Pharisees convened the council and they said, if we let him go on with his miracles like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will intervene and they will take our place and our nation. We have to stop him. It's better for one man to die than the whole nation to suffer, they said, because Lazarus was alive and Jesus had shown he could even do that. Now, they were watching and waiting to see if Jesus would show up in Jerusalem. 
Both the pilgrims were waiting to see if he would show up, and the Pharisees were waiting to see if he would show up. This miracle man who had powers even over death itself. Would he come to the Passover? The pilgrims were waiting because they wanted to see one more miracle. And the Pharisees were watching and waiting because they were looking for a moment to seize him and hush him and stop him. Yes, the pilgrims were there and the Pharisees were there, but others joined in this parade too. The blind were there, the lame were there, the children were there showing their support for the new Messiah. And some were real believers and others just joined the crowd. They were watching and waiting. They were would-be disciples. And today, we're there too. We need him to ride into our broken lives. We need him this Palm Sunday to replace fear with hope. We need him to switch our worship of material matters with an awe for the true Messiah who shows us that we have been bowing to the wrong idols. We have been kneeling at the wrong altars all along and forgotten about the Christ until now when we truly, truly need him. See him now, Jesus riding into the city on a young donkey, a borrowed coat placed over the beast's back for a saddle. He rides in conscious fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah, surrounded by his disciples and might be disciples and curiosity seekers and general admirers. Don't make the mistake in thinking the Hosannas were happenstance. No, Jesus knew all along exactly what was going to happen. Look at verse 2 of chapter 11. And Jesus said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went their way and found the colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they put their garments on it, and he sat on it. Donkeys were more apt to be left unattended in the village square than were horses. Well, horses were very expensive and they were generally reserved for the military or the elite. The word used here for the young donkey is the same word that the prophet Zechariah uses for the donkey in Zechariah 9, 9, when he saw this happening so long ago. Rejoice greatly, writes the prophet. O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Oh, yes, the prophet had long predicted it. 
This was the hand, the will, the act of God. It wasn't just any cult. It was one on which no man had ever sat. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He's writing a cult upon which no man had ever sat. It reminds me of Luke's gospel or John's gospel where Jesus is honored by being laid, his body laid in a grave that had not previously been occupied. Normally in burial practices, a family might have a cave there, a tomb, and there was one shelf and a body was placed until its bones could be pushed and the next body put on the shelf. You never had a tomb used that was never unused. It was a family affair, and it was a way to bury families together on this shelf. But Luke wants you to know, and John gives an amen, that Jesus was placed in a tomb in which no man had ever occupied before. And Mark wants you to know, he rides upon the colt of a donkey which no one had ever sat before. In fact, I found a Jewish writing that says, after a king rides an animal, he's never to be mounted again. Everything about this parade, everything about this procession says, there's a new king coming to town. A new king looking for a throne. If anybody asks you why you're taking the colt, says Jesus, just say the master has need of it. Some might call this the word impressment. Do you know that word? Influential individuals, powerful people, even including rabbis in the Greco-Roman world, might have right to borrow what was yours, your beast of burden, just for a moment. In fact, I found... A papyri number 211, which says, Upon the arrival of the new finance minister, we borrowed five riding donkeys and have got ready the 40 baggage donkeys, and we've begun to make the road. It was commonplace for a king to take what was yours and to make it his for a moment, for his need, for the good of all, the greater cause than the right of the individual. Jesus, through impressment, takes the colt and rides it, for he is a true king. We'll never know who did it first, but someone in the crowd took off his cloak and attempted to make a royal runner for the new king. Then another one turns and throws his coat, and others begin to, to cut the palm branches and cast them in front of him, a makeshift road for this new royalty. This spirit of jubilation catches on as the crowd waves the palm branches in anticipation that the new king is in town. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is this one who comes in the name of the Lord. It was this, as they waved the palm branches, the trees themselves were clapping their hands upon the arrival of the rabbi. But the hearts of those who had grown cold with ambition and self-importance continued 
to object. Perhaps on previous Palm Sundays, can we be honest with ourselves this morning? Sometimes on previous Palm Sundays in this broken world with the dark powers in control, things were good enough for some of us that we really didn't want the king riding in and making a lot of changes, did we? Maybe when we read this story last year or the year before, maybe we find ourselves secretly in the role of the Pharisee. The world is pretty good. We don't really need anyone challenging our way or our will. A king who's going to threaten our little thrones with his throne, our spheres of power. You know, if a new king rides into town, he might just redraw the boundary lines. Like it or not, He's redrawing the boundary lines. Perhaps when the sun rises again and the shadows of our sickness are cast off, maybe within the new boundaries the Messiah has scribbled, maybe we'll value family. Maybe we'll value our friendships. Maybe we will discover again the power of being forgiven and the power of forgiving those who've hurt us. Maybe gratitude will come to us like a new discovery and maybe grace will be the new goblet from which we drink. Maybe presence will be important. Presence of God and presence of God's people, the church. The Romans just watched at a distance, amused by the whole affair, why their kings rode stallions. Who's worried about this rabbi on the baby donkey? This procession of them seemed pretty petty, did it not? The lame, the blind, the children, the peasants from Galilee and Bethany. What kind of makeshift mob is this? Only Luke mentioned it. Look closely at the eyes of Jesus as he rides in Jerusalem, and Luke tells you he is weeping He is weeping for the very city in which he enters, for he knows of its pending destruction. It won't be long until these same folks who are shouting Hosanna will change their chance to crucify him, crucify him. They will reject him when he proves to be a disappointment, when he doesn't end up overthrowing Rome, but rather calls men, Jews and Gentiles, to quietly live out the kingdom in their own lives in such a way as to subversively transform the world. But here's the question. I know the Pharisees are threatened. 
But are you threatened by Jesus? No, I'm not threatened, Pastor. Then you truly don't understand who he is, do you? Aren't you afraid of having this new king parade into your life today? The king who allows creation to shout, Hosanna? Aren't you afraid? Barbara Brown Taylor says she remembers being in a retreat where the leader asked the participants to rethink someone who represented Christ in their lives. And they were given some time to come back and report who represented Christ to them. She says, I'll never forget a woman stood up when it was her turn. She said, I had to think long and hard about this one. I kept thinking, who is it that told me the truth about myself so clearly that I wanted to kill him for it? According to John, Jesus died because he told the truth to everyone he met. He was the truth. A perfect mirror in which people saw themselves in God's own light. What happened then on Palm Sunday go on happening now in the presence of integrity our pretense is exposed in the presence of his constancy our cowardice cowardice is brought to light in the presence of the fierce love of God and for us our own hardness of heart is revealed take Christ out of the room and all I have to do is compare myself to you take me out of the room and all you have to do is compare yourself to me and you measure up pretty good but you let him right into town and everything changes was he the real king of the cosmos this man who oddly enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey It's a personal question. Is he the real king of the cosmos? Every pilgrim in that parade at the end had to make a decision. Is he the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God? And today, as he rides in, you too have to make a choice. Will you wave the branches and shout? If you say, no, he's not the king, then you're changing Hosanna to crucify him, crucify him. If you say, yes, he is the king, then you committed yourself to a journey, a journey of exploration into God through learning of the person of Jesus, his life, his teachings, embracing his death and resurrection, and embracing his people, the church. Palm Sunday brings a sense of triumph not one that would impress Rome because this is a king who washes mud from between the toes of his students when they've been on the dusty road. This is a king who's a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. This is a king who has a splintery throne a cross and a crown of thorns. I hear the clacking of the hoofs now. The king is here. He has arrived. The parade, like it or not, 
is in our midst. You cannot slow or stop his arrival. All you can do is choose on which side you will sit. Today, perhaps we realize more than ever before that we need him to ride in and reign and rule in our lives. How foolish we were to ever think that we had the cosmos under control. We were self-deluded to think that we could form our own futures. Naive enough to think for a moment that we knew what tomorrow would hold. So pick up a palm branch. We need a king. Join the pilgrims and shout, Hosanna. Oh, King Jesus, come. Amen. Oh, God, ride in today with your hope, your healing, your peace, and your possibility. The possibility of seeing with new eyes, the possibility of hearing with new ears, the possibility of speaking with a new tongue. And may the first words of our new tongues be, Hosanna. Lord, save. That's what Hosanna means. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.